Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as host Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. I am your host, Mike Abadir, and we are in the last weekend of May, approaching Memorial Day weekend, the kickoff of the summer. Today is Thursday, May 26th, 2022, and Memorial Weekend is always one of my favorite weekends of the year. It always is a great sports weekend, but it kicks off the summer, and when I was a kid, when I was back in school, elementary school and high school and so on, it gave me that sense of summer's almost here, end of school year. Um, you know, there, 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 there are a lot of good feelings that resonate when it comes to that, which uh, leads me to uh, just a quick, uh, you know, state of affairs in the world. I know nobody's listening to discuss that or even hear about that, but uh, but just just so so sad what happened in Texas. You know these kids who were uh, in in the last day or two of the school year for them and excited about the summer and sharing that excitement. I was just sharing with you, and um, only for a tragedy to strike. So um, definitely praying for all those parents out there that lost loved ones and all the students who have lost schoolmates and everybody else in that town who's grieving. So uh, my heart is with you. But the show must go on, right? Life goes on. Tragedy is a part of life. Uh, very difficult to handle, of course. But um, one of the things that helps us cope are distractions. And what better distraction than sports? Uh, because sports provide an outlet for us to root and to get emotional about uh, teams and players that we either love or hate. Um, and so it's a great outlet for that purpose. And it kind of got me thinking about which is the best sports town in America. Now, I'm going to make a case that's very hard to dispute, I think, that Boston is the best sports town in America best sports city in America, especially when you're talking about pro sports, at least, right? Here we are towards end of May, and the Boston Celtics are on the verge of reaching the NBA finals. Now we finally get to the point where their potential is uh, is uh, reached, right? After uh, kind of a retooling, stocking up on draft picks by Danny Ainge, We've now seen that that franchise has been able to convert those picks into wins. It doesn't always happen that way, uh, but it's, it's very impressive what they've been able to do. And they even had uh, their hotshot head coach, young head coach from uh, Butler, who came in and did a really good job, I thought, um, go up to the front office. And I think they've got an all-star team both down on the floor and upstairs and uh, and a, a really good team to boot. So 
I'm excited to see what happens uh, next because it looks like it's going to probably be the Celtics and the Warriors. And everybody knows, because uh, I say it all the time, I'm not a huge NBA fan. I'm just not a huge basketball guy in general. But this is the time of year where I do tune in. It gets exciting. It um, the, the competition is, uh, once you get to the finals and you have the last two teams standing in the NBA, you usually have really good teams. And that's kind of one of the things that, you know, why I don't really follow it on the regular is because I think on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night, you know, it's just not compelling to me to uh, watch the Utah Jazz and and the, uh, you know, Sacramento Kings or something like that. There's there's just a lot of like so-so matchups and they don't really necessarily go balls to the walls during the regular season anyways. Uh, I think you have to be a, a real big lover of basketball and NBA to tune in each and every day. Maybe like in the same way that I do with uh, baseball. Um, doesn't matter to me what the matchup is. Uh, baseball always brings something new to the table. But nonetheless, I think a Warriors-Celtics finals will, will would be really engaging and captivating. San Francisco against Boston. We've seen some Boston versus L.A., you know, most recently with the, uh, you know, uh, Red Sox and and the Rams, I'm sorry, Red Sox and the Dodgers. We've also seen the Rams and the uh, Patriots, you know, uh, tee up against each other. Um, we've seen the the Celtics and the Lakers go up against each other. Uh, so what are we left with? We're left with maybe Red Sox Giants. That'd be cool. Uh, how about Warriors Celtics? Well, looks like it's going to happen. Curious to hear what you guys think about that series. Um, Steph is is not necessarily the Steph of old, but he's still really good. And I think to have that experienced team go up against the up and comers with of the Celtics is going to be a blast. I don't even know who the favorite would be. You guys probably know much more than I do, and could probably tell me who would be favorite in that series. But I'd have to imagine that it wouldn't be whoever is favorite wouldn't be favored by much. Now, I'm going to think that the Warriors probably get uh, favoritism uh, because they're coming out of the West. um, Because they've got a winning head coach and Steve Kerr, one as a player and as a head coach. He's an all time great, uh, as well as players that have multiple rings. You know, the core guys like Draymond and uh, Curry, of course, and Clay. Those guys are battle-tested. There's no situation that's too big for them. We know that they could withstand. We know that they could keep a lead and and win uh, a series when they're out in front. They can come back if they fall behind. Uh, I think that that makes the Warriors the favorite in a matchup between them and the Celtics. But what we've seen many times in recent years, more than anything else is that the up and comer, I think they're just so well prepared nowadays. It's not like the days of yesteryear where, where you kind of give the nod right away to the veterans. I think now players have teams assigned psychologists to players and they bring in motivators and, they coach these people like from day number one 
into how to be a champion. So it's not like the in the years past where you've got a lot of uh, collective players getting together and each one is stuck with his own thoughts in his brain, right? Now, now you have a very different mentality going into a finals where it really doesn't matter if you're battle tested or not. Those are a lot of things that we say that what the media says, what the fans say, and there's some truth to it, but by and large, absolutely. I think if you've got experience in anything in life, you've got an advantage, but all I'm saying is the disadvantage is not very strong. It's not what it was. It's very, very overcomable. So that's kind of my two cents on the Celtics and the Warriors. We got to get there first, though, right? I mean, all the Heat need to do is win two in a row. Um, it's not beyond imagination for the Mavs to come back. They played really well. Uh, they probably were playing with heavy hearts and motivated and used that to fuel them. But we've seen teams get fueled by Hurricane Katrina or other things to go on a run all the way. So let's see. Let's see what happens with the Mavs. I think that would be an incredible story if they were able to do that for the state of Texas, right? I don't think anybody would be mad if that happens. Not in the least bit. So back to the original question. Is Boston the best sports town? When you look at how much the Patriots have won, the Red Sox, four world championships since 2004. So in 18 years, they're averaging one World Series title every, you know, four, four and a half years or so. I don't think there's a team in baseball that has more championships in that period of time. Celtics have been in the finals multiple times. They've been in the Eastern Conference finals a bunch of times. Uh they faced Miami Heat several times, actually, in the postseason. Makes it really a good rivalry, even though a lot of the players that were a part of the rivalry before aren't involved anymore. Those were really fun matchups with Dwayne Wade and Shaq days uh, onto Dwayne Wade and LeBron days uh, with Garnett and Ray Allen and Paul Pierce. Uh, those those were great, great, great matchups. Um, people will look back on those maybe with the same affinity as the uh, little bit of an older generation looks back at Magic and Bird and those great teams of the 80s, Celtics and, and, the, and the Lakers. And uh, I think people look back at the Warriors in the same manner as well. You know, 10, 15, 20 years from now, you know, they're going to look at this collection of players and, and really, really feel. And, and that's what happens with sports, right? You know, like my parents' generation, you know, they'll, there's nothing that will ever top for them, Montana and Rice, you know, living here in California, being uh, basically in the greater Bay Area, Gro growing up, seeing those teams, machine-like offense, high-end defense, destination place for free agents, draft picks always panning out, revolutionary offense, 49ers were that team. For others, it might be the A's of the late 80s, early 90s with Tony La Russa, who is still managing, of course, with the White Sox. And Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire and Carney Lansford, and Ricky Henderson, Dave Henderson, Eckersley, Dave Stewart, Walt Weiss, 
I could go on and on and on. Those are some great teams. They only won one championship, unfortunately, and unfathomably. Um, but they were great teams nonetheless. Of course, their winner, the winning team, was involved in the Earthquake World Series. And then they uh, laid an egg against uh, the Dodgers with Kirk Gibson, laid another egg with uh, the Reds, uh, Cincinnati Reds, Eric Davis and company. Speaking of favorites, the A's were favorite in all three matchups. Um, and they knocked out some really good Red Sox teams. I'm talking about Boston. Knocked out some really good Red Sox teams with, with Clemens and Mike Greenwell and Ellis Burks and uh, just some some f- fantastic teams. And then later on with Mo Vaughn, et cetera. Um, so the Warriors, I think, will resonate in the same way in the hearts of, uh, you know, you know, 10, 15 years from now, you know, those of a certain age will look back and they will look so fondly, think so fondly about this group of Warriors players. And it's remarkable that they kind of took a little bit of a hiatus with injuries and stuff like that to make it back this far, to make it back to the top or close to it. We're going to get there. Pretty sure. That's nice. There's not very many teams that have been able to do that. You know, some of the teams I mentioned have been able to, you know, 49ers, a couple of years off in between. Um, and then they come back to championship form with Steve Young. Red Sox, a few years off and come back and win. Warriors, same thing. So um, one more thing I'll say about the Celtics is this. Who's been able to do a better job retooling? Them or the Lakers? Which is the better method? This I'd love to hear from somebody. Is it better to go the route of the Celtics, which is wipe the slate clean, build a championship front office, coaching staff, draft picks, developing draft picks, supplementing with good vets or do you take the Lakers approach, which is win now all the time mentality. So we don't build through the draft. We retool, you know, Kobe retires. Okay. We'll bring in uh, LeBron. LeBron, what do you need? We'll bring in Anthony Davis. We'll bring in whomever we need to get to the top. Curious to hear what you guys' thoughts are on that. What is the better methodology? Again, the whole premise of of the this subject matter, Boston Celtics are doing a great job with it. Boston as a sports town should be the envy of all sports fans. Now, one of the things we're going to be spending a lot of time on today, not to bore everybody about the city of Boston and to gloat about how great Boston is, but of course I do love the Boston Celtics and they are going to be a team that we're going to talk about again. Now, it's not very often that we bring back a guest from a week ago or two weeks ago or, or super recently 
when it comes to a specific topic or a team. But we will be joined by Matthew Corey, the beat writer for the Boston Red Sox. Again, we had him a couple of weeks ago. We're going to have him on again. Now, why? Why so soon? Because it's almost like two different teams. What the Red Sox were and what the Red Sox are. Folks, at one point, they were 11 and 20. Fans on Twitter wrote them off. Not that what Twitter says goes, but my God, goodness, it is a pulse for how the fan base feels. And they were ripping this team apart, ripping apart Trevor's story. Even the beloved manager, Cora. And their lineup and their pitching staff and their underperformers. And now all of a sudden, they're 20 and 23. So they were 11 and 20. Now they're 20 and 23. Big, big turnaround. They have a positive run differential and are climbing back into the thick of things. Let's take a commercial timeout. We'll come back. We'll pick up on that and much more. At the bottom of the hour, we'll be joined by a Red Sox beat writer, Matthew Corey. Stay with us, everyone. We'll take a quick commercial timeout, and we'll be back with more on the other side. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. A couple of quick NFL notes. NFL quarterbacks Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, and Josh Allen are going to play in what they're going to call the match, which is brought to you by Capital One. It's going to be on TNT on June 1st. So that would be on Wednesday, I believe. Yep, next Wednesday. In a golf matchup, in a 12-hole exhibition And I don't know if they've pressed on these guys to talk smack or what, but I know they are. (laughs) They're already starting to talk. Brady fired off today saying, you know, hope he's better here than his track record on the football field. Uh, You don't really see Brady shit talking too much. He's always very reserved, but I think the older he's gotten, the more outspoken he's become about certain things, which is interesting to me. Uh, The Saints are expecting Michael Thomas to be ready for camp. That's good news for them because they haven't got a lot out of him after he was the world's best wide receiver for a couple of years. Lamar is uh, not attending OTAs. Take that for whatever it's worth. Lamar Jackson, Baltimore Ravens. I don't know if it's a big deal or not, but it's part of today's news and notes. And then the Raiders have taken a look at Colin Kaepernick. I almost don't want to spend any time on this because I'm very, very sick of the Kaepernick discussion. He's been out of the league now for many years. There's not a lot of football players that are out of the league for many years that could come back and play. In my opinion, he was out of the league because of poor performance. Yeah, he could have been a backup. I get it. Probably wasn't worth the headache in the media circus. I get it. But ultimately, he was no different than a Baker Mayfield. Or Sorry, apologies to Baker Mayfield. To Johnny Manziel or Tim Tebow or any quarterback who's had like a nice run for a short period of time league the league figures you out rg3 is another example and then the league moves on from you that's just what happens and that's what happened with colin kaepernick he was very erratic with this throwing starting with this throwing motion is very unorthodox herky-jerky type of player inaccurate made a lot of mistakes you know, in fact, their current quarterback, well, the starter for the last couple of years, let's just say, I don't know who is going to start uh, in 2022 for the 49ers, but he is a more polished version of, of Kaepernick. And everybody knows that I've been pretty hard on Jimmy G, but he is a more polished version of, of Kaepernick. He's a much more polished quarterback than Colin Kaepernick. Um, And I I use him as an example because I find him to be 
pretty erratic and and uh, inaccurate at times. But when he looks good, he looks like a dropback pocket passer. Um, and Kaepernick never gives me that feel. Uh, Kaepernick is probably at his best in broken place scenarios, and you can't live and live and die by that. So, Raiders bring him in. Not sure why. I could see him maybe being invited to training camp. Don't see him making any rosters anytime soon. So I probably spent a minute and a half too much on this subject already. It bores me to death, but it is in the news today. So thought I'd mention it for a quick second. So back to baseball. And I'll save the Red Sox talk so I don't bore everybody to death for when Matthew Corey comes in, which will be momentarily. But how about the New York Mets? New York Mets have a seven-game lead, and currently they're without their two superstar pitchers. Is that a big is that a big enough lead to be able to withstand losing DeGrom and Max Scherzer? Seven games enough? Will they be limping until they get one of those guys back? They've lost two in a row. They've had a ridiculous series against the Giants. You know, 12-12 matchups and extra innings and super exciting baseball. New Yorkers have had to stay up till about 1 in the morning to be able to see the outcome for some of those games. Really fun, fun games between those two teams so far, the Giants and the Mets. And the Giants were experiencing a, uh, a difficult time with injuries and, and losses piling up. But there's still five games about 500. They're definitely still in the uh, picture. Every team, for the most part, is still in the picture. And like we're going to talk about with the Red Sox, you know, a lot can happen in a week or two in baseball. Mindsets can be changed. Opinions can be changed. Teams can get hot. Like I said, a lot can happen in a very short period of time in baseball. You know, last week it was doom and gloom for the Giants, maybe. Especially because the Dodgers seem to be always hot. Dodgers don't seem to ever slump. And this year, the Padres are playing exceptional. So now you have a three-headed monster in NL West. And depending on the week you may have a different favorite between those three teams. I think the Dodgers will probably stay there uh, most of the season, and they're doing it without Clayton Kershaw, uh, and they're not missing a beat. And he was delivering. I mean, he was fantastic for the first uh, month, uh, month and a half of the season. He should be back in a couple of weeks. So, you know, the Dodgers are one of those teams. I've said it before. I'll say it again. It's an embarrassment of riches with the Los Angeles Dodgers. They can lose guys, and they don't even have to retool. They're always, um, they're. It's not even next man up mentality. It's that they've got a lot of guys who could be starters with any other team. That's how deep the the LA Dodgers are. 
So for them, they could definitely withstand injuries. And at home, this team has been almost invincible. They've won 15 out of 20 at home. Doesn't get much better than that. I, I believe that tops in, in the majors, uh, at least from a winning percentage perspective. Uh, the other team that's uh, close, that's just dominant at home, is, uh, and we'll talk about the Yankees in a little bit, are the New York Yankees. They're 17 and 7 at home. They're absolutely crushing it as well. They're a team that is now utilizing their home ballpark um, in, a, in a way with some of their left handed hitters like Rizzo and even Joey Gallo, et cetera, that short right field porch. And they're taking full advantage. And Stanton, although he's now hurt, uh, which is no surprise because it seems like he's hurt every single year, unfortunately for him and for the Yankees, but had been really killing it. Aaron Judge looks like an MVP so far. So there's a lot to like in Yankee land, of course, uh, as much as it pains me to say it as a Red Sox fan. Now, with that said, I think I think with baseball, one thing that we've found over the years is eventually things get settled into the mean. Right? So let's start with a player. You know, a player that's typically a 300 hitter who starts off the year batting 200. Let's say a month and a half into the season. Well, that tells me that most likely he's going to have a stretch of ball where he's batting like 370. Because ultimately, his batting average will land on 300. That's usually what happens. Right? So you can look at the stat sheet and take a look and figure out who's going to get hot eventually. Because things fall into the norm typically. And it's the same thing with teams. You know, teams that you project to win 90 games. Let's say the Red Sox, 11 and 20. But if you projected them to to win 90 games, they'll often get to that point regardless of what goes on in the middle stretches. You know, again, it's like the 300 hitter. Guy's batting 200, first couple months of the season, but you know he's a good hitter. You know he's a 300 hitter. We know he'll end up with the 300 batting average. So, again, a guy that's batting 200, I'm going to expect he's going to have a stretch of ball where he bats 370 so that ultimately he lands on 300. So all I'm saying is that applies to the teams as well. And I think the New York Yankees, they're uh, playing 705 baseball. If you projected them to be a team that's going to get 94 or 95 wins, that means that they're going to go through uh, a period of time where they maybe slump a little bit. They're not going to be a 108-win team like the uh, uh, Giants-Dodgers type uh, seasons last year. Um, or same thing with the Red Sox. You know, you projected them to be a 90-win team. The, you know, the averages all settle in when it comes to baseball. And speaking of the Boston Red Sox, we are joined now by the beat writer for the Boston Celtics. We had him on just a short time ago, but a lot's changed in a couple of weeks. Matthew Corey is on with us. How you doing, bud? I'm all right. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. I appreciate you coming back to join us uh, in uh, such a quick turnaround. We usually don't do that, right? Usually it's kind of like, you know, beginning of the year, maybe midway point, maybe postseason, and maybe during the playoffs, maybe a couple of uh, visits make sense. But here it's just been a remarkable turnaround. And even though right now they're not necessarily above 500 or anything like that, 
But I mean, when you look at the sentiment, just even on Twitter itself, it's uh, it was we're writing off the season. The Red Sox suck. Um, the roster is constructed poorly. Um, certain guys are are shouldn't have been signed as free agents. To all of a sudden now, um, you know, hey man, this team is getting back into the race, and I knew that they were going to do it, and their offense finally clicked. What, what's what, what's kind of been your feeling uh, about the uh, these last couple of weeks in terms of a roller coaster of emotions for Red Sox fans? Well, you know, it's funny because um, you know the Red Sox have been over the course of the last fifteen years or twenty years, you know. Uh, a really successful franchise when you when you look at the number of times they've, they've gone deep in the playoffs, won the World Series. Um, but there's been a lot of, you know, dips uh, in between those successes. Um, you know, you've had teams completely bottom out in between uh, winning, you know, World Series, uh, finish in last place, uh, end up picking at the top of the draft, you know, hiring Bobby Valentine. You know, we, there's been some mistakes made along the way. And this season feels like all of that kind of compressed, you know. Uh, you, you've got all these, uh, you know, big expectations for this roster, for this group. Um, and, you know, there's a whole bunch of guys who are going to be free agents uh, at, at the end of the season um, or, or really close to it. And so it sort of feels like this might be the last kind of run for this particular group of guys. Um, and, uh, and, and it started off so badly, <laughs> but uh, since the start of the Houston series, um, the Red Sox have the best offense in baseball uh, and by a wide, a wide margin. And I think that's, you know, that's really, and it doesn't take any type of genius to see that, you know, you had on one hand, you have a, a, a team that's simply not hitting at all. they you know, barely scoring any runs, not, you know, on a base level, just not hitting the ball hard. Um, and I'm not sure what clicked, but uh, but now you've got guys contributing who simply weren't before. You know, Trevor Story, obviously, is the, the forgive me, the big story. Um, but Enrique Hernandez is hitting uh, really, really well all of a sudden. Um you know, you're still getting stuff from uh, from Bogarts and Devers. Um, it's it's been much more of a team effort and much more of a you know kind of a, a high end effort too. Um, so th- I mean, that's that's sort of what I see as a reason for the for the bounce back. It's it's uh, you know th- this team that everyone expected to hit is actually hitting. Yeah, and you mentioned story being the story, and I know you had you had to include that in there. That's his his name lends itself. His name lends itself to to that that comment. Uh, but he really has to. I mean, for it, yes. I mean, when we when we spoke just a short time ago, I was even throwing out there the question. I wasn't going to say that he's a bust. It's way too early in the year, and it still is too early. But I was kind of yeah. throwing it out there, the potential that maybe this is just one of those guys that doesn't perform outside of course Field in the same manner that he hits at least um, at, at home when he was in Colorado. We talked about Nolan Arenado a little bit, and you kind of gave us a little breakdown yep. as to 
you know, before and after his hot streaks and whether he's actually as good as people think offensively, potentially. Um, but Trevor Story's bat has really awoken um, since May 10th, which is just a few days ago, really. You know, he's batting almost yeah. 280 with eight home runs, and he's crushing it RBI-wise, driving in a lot of players. Uh, he's getting on base. Uh, his on-base percent is now over 300. But it's also, like you said, other guys picking up the slack a little bit more, Kike and Verdugo and J.D. Martinez. The one guy I'd like to see hit is, is Jackie Bradley Jr. I've always felt that deep down he's not a bad hitter. And we saw him, remember that year, a few years ago, he had like a nice hitting streak. And there are seasons where he could hit 20 home runs. And we saw him win a uh, ALCS MVP award. I know his glove is why he's there. But what what do you think it would take for Jackie Bradley Jr.? Is he, I guess, is he not a good hitter? And maybe those flashes from before were just uh, outside of the, the ordinary, but this is who he is? Or what? Because I'll tell you this much. If Jackie Bradley can get going, if they could get Bobby Dahl back going, and this team is unstoppable offensively. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny, too, because, like, you know, all the success they've had, you know, over the last whatever it is, two weeks now, uh, has come, you know, I mean, we discussed before this was kind of a three-headed offensive monster, and, and now it's sort of a five-headed offensive monster. There's still significant nothing at the end of the lineup, you know, um, Bradley's been hitting better. Um, and, and you know, what's really weird is, um, you know, he has a reputation well-earned, um, for not being able to hit left, left-handed pitching. Um, but this year he's hit left-handed pitching, but he's not hit right-handed pitching. Um, I, I think we're still in small sample size territory with him. Um, he's, He's such a streaky hitter, and I think if he just doesn't find that streak, you know, then the numbers are just going to look really bad. And that's what we saw last year in Milwaukee. He just never really got going. He never had that, you know, three to four to five week stretch where he he really uh, looks like a, a superstar. Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, he's he's older now, and he may not hit those heights anymore. I, I do think that there is, there is a chance he's not on the roster by the end of the season. Um, I mean, there's a couple obvious spots where the team can upgrade. And if they continue to hit well and continue to win games, there there's going to be calls to improve the roster by the deadline and corner outfield is, you know, is, is going to be one of those spots. Um, but uh you know, he's, he's definitely, uh, certainly defensively, um, you know, a, a guy who I think, I, I just think he's much better deployed as a fourth outfielder, you know, a, a, a defensive replacement, a guy who can, who can come in and, and give your, your star corner outfielder, you know, a day off. Um, I, I, I just don't, I think he's stretched as a, as a everyday player at this point in his career. Um, but you know, the Red Sox just don't have any other options They they sort of backed themselves into this corner. Um, and 
and, and that's where they are. So I, I think this is the, you know, this is the horse they're going to ride until they get to uh, a point, you know, in the middle of the year when, when they can sort of assess where the team is going and if it's worth, you know, spending money and capital to, to improve the roster. But that might yeah, be a that spot makes a lot where, of sense, uh, Matt. Matt uh, let's take a yeah. quick commercial timeout, and we'll pick up uh, on the other side. We're speaking with Matt Corey, beat writer for the Boston Red Sox. We'll let you know how you could follow him and the Red Sox uh, stories that he brings to the table right after this. Stay with us, everyone. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel have you become a member yet sign up now to become a member of voice america it's always free and easy plus you get to take advantage of some great member benefits get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels keep track of your favorite episodes shows and hosts in your own customizable library find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites plus you get insider access with our newsletter membership gives you more Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Talking with Matthew Corey. Uh, got a few minutes left here to uh, pick his brain a little bit about the Boston Red Sox. You could check him out on Twitter, MattyMatty2000. Uh, Sox outsider at Substack, be more sports life for his Orioles talk. Obviously, very well versed in the American League East. I've known him from back in the days when he was with the Athletics, uh, the Athletic. Excuse me, uh, cool. Matt. Let's uh, pick up kind of where we left off. It seems like that bottom of the order, you know. It's kind of a plug-and-play thing, I think, with Cora. You know, let's see what Frenchie can do today. Let's see what Arroyo could do today. You know, maybe we could get something from uh, Bobby Dahlbeck. Um, 
but at least Vasquez has started to pick up the slack a little bit. I guess the one thing that I'm wondering is, do they even need huge production from the bottom of the lineup? I mean, if if the five-headed monster you alluded to earlier, um, I'm going to go ahead and extend it to six. I'm going to go ahead and say that Devers, Kike, Bogarts, Verdugo, Story, and Martinez are all really good hitters. And even though we haven't seen it quite yet from Verdugo, I've always felt that he's got it in him to be a batting title contender, or at least to be, you know, a high average type of guy, as well as a, a run producer. Keep in mind, he was a part of the Mookie Betts deal. Uh, he was a top prospect for the Dodgers, and we've seen some really good uh, stuff out of him, but he's still figuring it out, I think. Uh, do they need the bottom of the order to win? Well, I mean, I think you sort of saw how you do need a full order in the beginning of the year, right? Because we had, you know, story struggling. Um, you know, the, the only guys I could teach you the guys were hitting, you know, you had Martinez, Bogarts, Endeavors, and that was it. Um, and that made it really difficult. You know, that made, that's really tough to score runs when you've got three guys who are contributing offensively, and really, that's it. So, um, you know, you, you, you brought up while we were off air there um, how Jackie Bradley hasn't scored any runs this year, really, and, and that's, you know, mostly on the guys around him. Um, you know, Christian Vasquez doesn't hit up until now. Uh, Enrique Hernandez wasn't hitting at all. Bobby Dahlbeck still, still isn't hitting. I think Alex Verdugo's run into a, a whole bunch of kind of bad luck, and I, I sort of fear it's messed with his head a little bit. Um, but I think ultimately he's going to be okay. Uh, I don't think he's a superstar, but I think he's, you know, a league average or maybe a little bit above that. And that plays totally fine at the back of the lineup. Um, but I, I do think that, uh, you know, Franchi Cordero coming up and, and playing like a league average bat has, has actually been uh, kind of a godsend too. being able to, to plug him in a corner outfield spot or first base um, to fill in, you know, for, a, for someone else who's not performing well um, or give somebody a day off to get healthy. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty nice to have, uh, you know, in these, this age of shortened benches and, and uh, elongated bullpens. Yeah, no doubt about that. So uh, pulled up Verdugo here uh, in his first, you know, full season. It wasn't even full uh, with the Dodgers, about a 294, had a 3.1 war uh, the very next season, which is the uh, COVID year, 308. Uh, last year, he did get a full season or pretty close uh, to a little bit hair under 290 batting average. Um, he's at 215 right now. I think if Verdugo even can end the year above 260, 265. Uh, that would probably mean he's hitting a 300 for the rest of the way out. Um, I, I think he's capable. His track record at least suggests it. Why, one of the reasons I love Verdugo is because I thought he was really clutch in the postseason last year. Um, so hoping, hoping, hoping he could be, he could prove me right, and he's included in the six-headed monster. But we haven't talked about pitching at all. Uh, yeah. What, 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 what's going on, on on the pitching side of things that you've seen? Uh, over the last couple of weeks. And it's interesting to me because they've got some guys who the minute you want to write them off, like Michael Waka or, or Rich Hill a thousand times during his career, they come back and, and give you great outings. Yeah, they actually have a surprising amount of, of depth, it feels like, in, in the rotation. Um, and that's, I, I didn't, you know, the word surprising should indicate I didn't expect that. Uh, you know, Rich Hill, like you said, he, He's at this point in his career, you know, he's not going to go deep into games. 
Um, and I think the Red Sox have, for the most part, done a good job of you know, protecting him uh, from going through the order a second or a third time, I mean. Um, you know, but Michael Walker has been really effective. I, I worry about him, you know, kind of long-term. He, he, <laughs> his numbers are uh, – his ERA is fantastic. Uh, beyond that, uh, things get a little iffy. Uh, you know, there's very few strikeouts. There's too many walks. Even if there were a lot of strikeouts, there's still too many walks. Um, you know, he's doing a good job keeping the ball in the park. That's a credit to him. But, you know, he's not getting a ton of ground balls. Uh, so I, I don't know how long this, this will last, but, you know, it's a one-year deal. So hopefully you, uh, you, know, you bank these wins and move on. Um, but, you know, I, I think as part of the turnaround, we've seen, you know, Nick Pavetta just about every start, you know, steadily improve. Um, he's, you know, never been the – the world's greatest command guy. And I think you know, that's why his home run numbers are, are often home runs allowed uh, are often higher than you'd like. But um, you know, if he's, if he's getting the strikeouts, uh, then, you know, he's going, he's going to be okay. I, you know, he's not a top of the rotation guy, but uh, if the, if the offense is hitting, they're going to win games from him on the mound. And I think that's, you know, that's, that's good. The, uh, the one guy that I think is especially interesting is uh, is Nathan Eovaldi, who's on the last year of his contract and has, I think, pitched fantastically. And yet every fly ball he allows goes over the wall. It's, it's, it's insane. Uh, he leads baseball among starters who've thrown more than 10 innings in uh, home run per fly ball percentage. So uh, a quarter of the fly balls he allows end up on the other side of the wall. And part of that's on him, you know, uh, uh, but, but part of that is just lousy luck. I mean, as we saw his last, it was his last outing, I think, um, when, uh, I can't even remember which batter it was, but someone just, uh, uh, you know, hit one 270 feet around the pesky pole or whatever, whatever it is. And, um, you know, Jackie Bradley had a shot at it actually. And some fans kind of got in his way. <laughs> that would have been an amazing catch, but uh, but that's not a home run in uh, any other major league ballpark, and it's not a home run in. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, you know, 99 percent of minor league ballparks either. Um, so uh, I, I would expect that number to drop, and I think uh, I think there's, you know, if he can stay healthy, there's there's better days ahead uh, this season for for Navy Abaldi, which is which is maybe promising as well. Yeah, and I think there's the game you're alluding to is the uh, I believe the game against the Astros. And he got lit up that game. Yeah. Uh, you know, yep. gave up uh, yep. uh, eight hits in an inning and two thirds, gave up uh, five home runs. Um, uh, very short. After dominating outing. in the first period, the first, uh, yeah, the first inning, he, he completely fell apart in the second. It was very. Yeah, short. exactly. But I think that, I mean, really, that's the only game where he's uh, pitched poorly. Every other outing has been, has been Nate. You know, typical Nate. Oh stuff, no, you know right? it's the it's the Mariners game that I'm thinking of. His his last start uh, game against the Mariners, and he gave up one home run. That was the, the one. I I think that's it. But gotcha. it, it doesn't matter. The the point the point is the same. Yeah, too too many home runs. Definitely too many home runs. Yeah, no 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 doubt about that. It was good to see him at least come back in that last game that you're talking about with 11 strikeouts, and he kept them in the game, and they ended up uh, beating. Uh, a Seattle team that I think by all accounts is, is a pretty good team. Um, but I guess yeah. moving on mm-hmm. because we're close to uh, the end of the line here on the show. Um, when you look at the Red Sox schedule coming up, they've got a really serious opportunity 
to uh, tack on some wins here. Uh, I'm always hesitant to to look at a team's schedule and project out because it rarely plays out the way that you think it it is. Yeah, (laughs) you you know what I mean. But when you look at the schedule, it's pretty favorable. It's pretty uh, favorable. They they have a really wicked stretch in July uh, where it seems like almost the whole month (laughs) they're going up against the Rays and the Yankees. Um, But I guess the point that I'm getting at is this. If they can do what they're supposed to do in their upcoming series, they've got five this weekend against Baltimore. I can't remember the last time a team had schedule had a schedule with five games. I'm guessing one of those is a rain out. Maybe one was a scheduled doubleheader. I don't know. But then they've got the Reds, the A's, Angels. Um, you know, you could keep going uh, down the, the line and you could see Detroit and Cleveland and, and the Cubs yep. uh, before they get into that mad uh, session there, uh, stretch of the season there. Where do you think they need to be when Chris Sale comes back to legitimately get excited? Well, they're really not far out of the wild card right now. I mean, you know, the I think that's the sort of unspoken aspect to this is, you know, it's easier to get into the postseason now than it ever has been you know, with, with extra wild card spots. Um, and so I think that is going to make it difficult for the Red Sox to, you know, reach a point where they're where they're really in total sell mode. Um, they're riding. I was, I was just going to ask you. Actually, I was going to put you on the spot. We we got about a minute or so left. Are are okay. they buyers or sellers? Come all come. Uh, trade I, them I think. I think both. I think I think both. I, I could see them. You know, sort of. You know, doing a, a strategy sort of akin to what they did in the Bradley trade. You know, where they they brought in a major league piece, and they also acquired some prospects. You know, some some more long term pieces for a guy that, you know, was a short-term piece in, in Hunter Renfro this past offseason. I, I could see sort of a, a combination of that, you know, maybe moving guys out who are on, don't have much time left on their contracts and bringing in somebody who's got, you know, longer term. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting, and, and I think uh, Bloom is, is going gonna to try to play both sides of it. Well, speaking of time, that's all the time we have. Matthew, thank you so much. It always goes by super fast when we talk. Appreciate you joining us. Thank you to all the listeners out there. Hope you enjoy a tremendous and safe Memorial weekend. We will see you same time, same place next week. Have a great sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.